0: Back to Romans chapter 3, so we'll get right to the reading. Verse 19 is where we start. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now. Have you ever read something for which you needed a dictionary handy because every third sentence contained a word that you did not understand? <laughs> this section, for some, can be like that. We read about being justified. We read about redemption. We read about righteousness. What are these things? And we haven't even gotten to propitiation. <laughs> That's next week. Yeah, the temptation of laziness is just to move on and not pursue understanding, but oh, that would be a critical error. Behind these words, like redemption, there is so very much glory and beauty and food for the soul. So we are going to work on growing our understanding, which I believe will also grow our assurance and grow our joy and grow our love. Last time we started into this passage, which begins the good news portion of Paul's letter to the Romans. And I asked Andre to turn me up later. Now I'm going to ask you to turn me down. I might get—I feel myself getting a little more energy, so I don't want to get too loud as my energy level increases with the glory of this word. Having painted a dark and foreboding picture of our condition outside of Christ, the apostle here is beginning to teach us of what our Savior has done to secure our salvation, our eternal happiness, and our peace. And the key words last time began with the little word, now. Paul said in verse 21, but now, which sets out a stark and happy contrast with what was. What was it that God had manifested and revealed? Well, back in chapter 1, we read that He had manifested and revealed His wrath against sin. What is now, that we're in chapter 3, is that God has manifested this thing called His wrath righteousness. Romans 1 said the wrath of God has been revealed. Romans 3 says the righteousness of God, the righteousness that comes from God to sinners is now being revealed. And we looked last time at what this righteousness is. We learned that it is an alien righteousness. Yeah, alien. It means it comes from somewhere else. It is not natural to us. It doesn't come from ourselves. Indeed, it is Imputed. Well, there's another word. To impute means to credit or to transfer. It seems that Jesus has a righteousness which he merited, but now he offers to sinners who have no righteousness of their own, which makes them exceedingly desperate in the face of coming judgment. So this Alien righteousness is imputed to us who believe, and the other word for belief is faith. The righteousness of God is accessed by faith apart from any work, apart from any legal obedience. Verse 22 speaks of the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and there you have eight mighty words. When Martin Luther in the 16th century discovered their meaning, they shook the world, and the gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, was restored to the church. And we are living and we are worshiping in that sweet gospel light this very morning. And I need an amen. Amen. I've been pleased to serve up these wonderful words and wonderful truths, which are wonderful enough to set our hearts ablaze, but I'm happy today to announce that there is more. Yes, I feel like a late night commercial, and there's more. <laughs> on top of that, yes, His mercy is more. His gospel goes on. There's just many angles at which to look at this gospel diamond and to marvel at it. And so we will do so again today through the lens of three more words. I call them saving words. The words are gift and justification and redemption. We left off last time looking at the all of verse 23, our memory verse for the month. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The next line says, "...being justified as a gift by His grace." So the word translated gift in the Greek is the word doron. Anybody here named Theodore? Theodore is God's gift. And then there's the word grace, which is charis. Two different Greek words with meanings that are very close to one another. The gift of grace. Grace, gift. The essential idea is that we are talking about something that is not earned, but bestowed. It flows to us from our Savior and His love, and that gift could be called justification or it could be simply called righteousness. Chapter 5 verse 17 provides a commentary on that. The sin of this one man Adam caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of, you with me? You listening? His gift of what? righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. And so we sing oh the love that drew salvation's plan, oh the grace that brought it down to man. And the oh becomes more intense for us when we grasp that this gift of grace which is justification which is righteousness could only become ours when the Savior has shed His blood, gives His life on our behalf. So, uh, one might be grateful if Bill Gates gives you $10,000, but if your neighbor risks or loses his life in order to save you from a terrible house fire, that gratitude would go through the roof, wouldn't it? And that is where the Christian is. Salvation is free for us, but it was costly for Jesus who paid our debt with His lifeblood. But once that debt is paid and the righteousness abundantly supplied, the response from us is to live in it, rejoice in it, trust in it, and then live out our lives in grateful service to our Savior. Now, as a young man, I was taught to share my faith via the evangelism explosion method taught by the late D. James Kennedy. And that presentation of the gospel focused on uh, communicating to works-oriented people who thought that they had to earn their acceptance with God. A simple transition question that I have asked many times over the years is this. Have you ever heard that eternal life is a gift? For many people, the answer to that question is no, 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 no. Then I say this, but uh, this is what is plainly taught in the New Testament, Romans six twenty three: the wages of sin is death, but the what? Free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then I would ask the person I'm speaking with now, how does one receive a gift? If someone gave you a gift, say they gave you a new watch, how would you respond? Would you pull out your wallet and start peeling off 20s to pay that person back? And the answer, of course, would come back, no, I wouldn't do that. And I would ask, why would you not do that? And they would say, because it is a gift, right? And when you are given a gift, you reach out a hand and you accept it and you express gratitude for it. You don't pay for it. You can't pay for it. Charles Spurgeon tells uh, the story of a preacher in Old England who went to call on a woman whom he knew needed financial help. And on Friday, he took some money from the church, made his way to a poor section of town where she lived. He climbed four flights of stairs to where she lived in a tiny apartment, and he knocked on her door, but there was no answer. And again he knocked, but there was no answer. So he left. On Sunday, the woman appeared in the pastor's church, and the pastor told her that he had come to her house wanting to help, uh, that he'd called on her on Friday, and she asked him at what time, and he said around noon, and she said, oh dear, (laughs) I was home, and I heard you not, but I did not answer, because I thought it was the man coming for the rent. Huh, well think about that. So many make that tragic evaluation. They know that God is a just judge and so they assume that His only interest in them is to get them to pay what they owe. That is the woman in the story. But you can imagine as well someone refusing to open the door for the charitable pastor even if they know that it was the charitable pastor. Why would that be? Oh, we don't want anyone's charity, do we? We insist on making our own way, even when we really can't. Our pride will not let us accept grace. What we must grasp is that any interest God has in helping us, it must be received. Don't let fear and don't let pride keep you from the gift that He is offering to you, you cannot live, you will not live without it. He offers to sinners eternal life, pardon, righteousness as a gift for God's sake, for your sake, take it with a humble, grateful, trusting heart. That, my friend, is the way to life. So our first key word for today is the simple one, gift. Our second word is a little more difficult. that is justification. Justification, verse 24, says we're justified as a gift. And so we got into this some last Sunday as we looked at the shorter catechism definition, which I repeat for us today. Throw it on the screen there. What is justification? Say it with me. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Let's learn from this. So much is there. First, justification is an act of grace. Act means it is not an event, or it is an an event, not a process. It is done by the Lord. It is a done deal for us as believers. It is done by God, out of His grace, It is a legal act, okay? The opposite of justification would be what? That would be condemnation, right? Instead of condemnation, we get justification from God, from His grace. That is the source of justification, God's grace. That is the fountain of everything. It has to be that way because gospel justification is entirely Undeserved. Romans 4 makes this remarkable declaration in verse 5, the one to the one who does not work but believes in Him, who justifies, who, who gets justified? (laughs) He justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. So we have a God who justifies, that is, declares as righteous men and women who are ungodly, and that has to be, can only be completely of grace. So the next phrase from the catechism gives the meaning of justification. We are pardoned and accepted. Pardoned and accepted. But here's something we need to not miss. Some do. Justification is more than just an erasure of guilt. It is that, but it is also a positive bestowal of righteousness. Our debt is paid, yes, but also... Our account has been supplied with an overabundance of credit. We are accepted as positively righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus that has become ours by means of this thing called imputation. Now, some teach that justification means just as if you never sinned, But it is far more than that. It is just as if we kept the law just as if we lived a perfect life and achieved the glory of God. So grace is the source. A declaration of righteousness is the meaning. The ground of justification would be the cross of Christ. Jesus is the one who wins this blessing for us by His obedience and then by His sacrifice. He followed the Father's will all the way to Calvary. He took our sin upon Him. He paid the debt that was ours. He did it all. He did it all. Say that with me. He did it all. Our contribution is nil, nada, non existent. But you say, what about our faith? Okay faith is the next point. That is the means by which this blessing comes to us. It is the means. It is not the ground. It is not the power. There's no inherent power in the faith. It is just a connector. Okay, Copper wire may connect your toaster to the power grid, but that is all it does. That copper wire does not generate anything, does it? But faith is like the copper wire and important as a connector, a conductor. So verse 22 mentions belief, mentions faith as an important element of salvation. It is the means of justification. We are justified when we plug into Jesus by faith, when we put our trust in Him. All right, next we look at the result of justification. What is that? First of all, it is peace with God. Romans 5-1 makes this plain, having been justified by faith we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As guilty sinners we are expelled from the presence of a holy God. That is what happened to Adam and to Eve. But as justified believers, we are admitted into his presence. We sit at his table. We are, in fact, adopted into his family. So, have you made your peace with God? No, you haven't. (laughs) I haven't either. But Jesus has made it for me. He is our peace because He is the Savior who justifies. Then we note that a second result of justification is a life of obedience, a life of love for the Lord, a life of love for His Word and for His work. Works do not result in justification, they result from justification. That's a critical thing to get. Works do not result in justification, they result from it. This is critical to avoid a lot of confusion. A theologian by the name of Francis Turretin, in a book intriguingly entitled Justification, it's not a bestseller, he wrote this, "'Works are connected to faith in the person of the justified, but not in the matter of justification.'" That is, we are justified by faith apart from our works, but the one who is justified brings forth good works. So, did you follow all that? I'm sure some of you didn't. Try to stay with me as we move forward, but I hope uh, some of that was helpful. So, the source of justification is grace. The meaning of justification is acceptance as righteous. The ground of justification is the cross of Christ. The means of justification is our faith. The uh, results of justification include peace with God and good works. And the person who grasped this fantastic gospel doctrine, that person has an immense advantage in every way. And I urge you to make it a point to pursue the fullest possible grasp and appreciation of these things. Martin Luther said the doctrine of justification by faith is the article upon which the church stands or falls. And John Calvin said justification is the main hinge on which religion turns so that we devote the greater care and attention to it. For unless you first of all grasp, what your relationship to God is and the nature of His judgment concerning you, you have neither a foundation on which to establish your salvation nor one on which to build piety toward God." So, as important as justification is, when we turn from that doctrine to our next key word, We hardly move to something lesser, oh no. Our next key word is redemption. And it must be understood along with justification as we plumb the depths of gospel glory. Redemption brothers and sisters refers to a payment of a ransom that results in our freedom. The payment of a ransom that results in our freedom. (coughs) Verse 24 says there is redemption in Christ Jesus, and the New Testament is full of this language, Galatians 3 and verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, First Peter 1:18. you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, and you can see in that the language of commerce, the Lord purchases us out of our spiritual bondage and debt. In Acts 20, Paul speaks of uh, the church of God, which he purchases with his own blood. In Revelation, we find that the song sung in praise of the Lord Jesus says this in Revelation 5 9 Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain, and you what? Purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation chapter 6 and verse 20 i believe that's go on to chapter 6 verse 20 uh oh, oh 723 i'm sorry of uh, 1st corinthians you are bought with a price that's the idea of redemption don't be slaves of men and now 620 we do have it for you have been glor- you've been bought with a price you see that the theme you've been purchased the language of commerce the language of redemption This gospel reality and identity, you know, Brooke's songs always intertwine the themes of my sermons as that last song we sang certainly did. This gospel reality and identity is so critical. When you awaken each morning, you do so as a redeemed man, a redeemed woman, a redeemed boy or girl. You are free from those things that can destroy you. And now you live for Jesus. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So justification is a way of looking at salvation in the courtroom. The categories regarding justification are guilt and righteousness and punishment. Redemption is a way of looking at salvation in the marketplace. The categories are debt and bondage and freedom that it is all the same salvation. Christ is our redemption, Christ is our righteousness, we are pardoned and accepted and liberated and now forever we are the glad servants of our good master who has imputed to us his goodness and ransomed us to be his. So we concluded by looking at all these wonderful truths or we conclude by looking at all these wonderful truths in the form of a diagram. That may help provide some clarity. I'm not a big diagram guy. That's Mark Sharpnack's specialty on our staff, but I like this one. You got it up there, Linda? Can you show? I heard this, I saw this in 1977, uh, and uh, it was utilized in a message and address I heard in Atlanta by James Boyce of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. But the gospel... (laughs) is uh, the same as it was way back in 1977. It still works. And here is the gospel triangle, or the salvation triangle. The top point of the triangle represents God the Father. Okay. The bottom left represents the Lord Jesus, and the other bottom side represents us, the Christian. Each of the three sides... Uh, The the lines represent one of the three salvation doctrines that we have been studying. The line at the bottom stands for redemption. It links Jesus with human sinners and describes what He does for us. He redeems us. He purchases us with His blood. And then we show that with an arrow pointing from Jesus to us, right? It is what He does for us. The line on the left, connecting the Lord Jesus with God the Father, stands for propitiation. It is there because this is what Jesus did for us in relationship to God the Father. That is in verse 25, and we're not there yet. We're not going to make it there this week, so come back next week. Tell all your friends, you got to come to church. Our pastor is preaching on something like that, propitiation. That will draw the crowds right there. Uh, so we have a whole sermon ahead on, on, on that. Uh, but uh, Suffice it to say that Jesus does not propitiate us. He propitiates the Father, or the wrath of God. All right, This is entirely necessary for our salvation, as we will discover in depth next Lord's Day. The final line of the salvation triangle connects us with God the Father, connects God the Father with us, and this represents justification. God justifies us because of what Christ has done with regard to Him. So this diagram speaks to us of how God saves sinners. And you'll see that you and I contribute what? Nothing! <laughs> we are saved. Now, saved is what your English teacher calls a passive Verb, Right? We are the recipients, the beneficiaries of justification and redemption. Both of which flow to us from the work of Jesus on our behalf. As Hebrews twelve two says, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. On whom our faith depends from beginning to end. Or as Paul will conclude at the end of the doctrinal section of Romans, we have a few weeks before we get to this passage, Romans 11:36. 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Therefore, to him be the glory forever. Amen. That'll be our memory verse for March 2024. <laughs> Something like that. I could end there, but let's add this thought. These gospel truths are truly revolutionary. You say, you want to have a revolution? (laughs) Right here, brothers and sisters, they provide us enormous comfort. They provide a grounds of great joy. They link us to our Lord in grateful Loving devotion. They fuel the everyday walk of the believer. They completely undermine the accusations of the devil and they propel us forth to bear witness to others. You grasp the meaning of justification and the meaning of redemption. You are on your way to a life that is eternal and abundant. That is why we are not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. Let us believe it, celebrate it, live it, share it, and we should sing of it too. But let's pray as our musicians come forward to help us do that. Our mighty God, we are overwhelmed by not just your love, but the various manifestations and ways that you communicate it to us. What you have done to secure the salvation of lost sinners, it is mind-boggling and beautiful. We pray, Lord, that where our, our comprehension is lacking, that you by your Spirit would fill the gap. And Lord, where it is not entered into our hearts, we pray that you would sink it deep within us as we contemplate it, as we meditate upon it. Lord, so many, I'm afraid, uh, it's so easy for us to not think these things are important. The world tells us so many other things need to be given our attention, but nothing more critical than this today. So, Lord, we pray that you would direct our attention to the matters of eternal weight and consequence, and give us, Lord, the breadth and length and height and depth of your love that we would see what you have offered us in this gift of salvation in the promise of justification and in redeeming us from our futile way of life and from our bondage to sin. Lord, we will sing of your love, your redeeming love, and your glorious gospel forever. Send us forth from this place today to be your light, your witnesses, your agents of reconciliation as we wrap up with this exultant hymn that we close with now to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand.